The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC, and here is your top five at five. Isolated event or systemic market risk. Breaking down what went wrong at one big hedge fund and asking whether or not it could happen again. Unstuck in the Suez traffic flowing once again as the ever-given limps away after six days of delay. Hold the salt. Deductions. New York business leaders calling on lawmakers to overturn some Trump-era policies that hammered blue state taxpayers. It's the Satan shoe lawsuit. Why Nike is lawyering up over a singer's blood-branded footwear. And the most random but interesting thing you're going to hear today has to do with the vaccine rollout. And some very good news from the CDC that got almost no attention elsewhere. It is Tuesday, March 30th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome from wherever in the world you may be watching. Hi, I'm Brian Sullivan. Thank you very much for joining us on a busy Worldwide Exchange. Let's kick off your Tuesday morning looking at the markets and your money and stock futures. They are higher. Not a lot. Well, the Dow is higher anyway. Up 40 points on the Dow. NASDAQ futures, they are lower, so why don't we call that mixed? Stocks coming off a mostly lower session on Monday with the Dow, the lone gainer. Again, the Dow's been pretty hot lately and remains that way this morning. And by the way, if you're counting at home, Dow inking another record close, the 17th. of Somebody says, how many record closes has the Dow made this year? You're going to say 17, and you're going to be right. Tech and the NASDAQ, though, they continue to be struggled. The NASDAQ now off nearly 8% from its record all-time high. We continue to see this rotation out of the so-called growth names, or maybe the work-and-stay-at-home names, Zoom, Peloton, DocuSign. They continue to come on harder times recently after surging last year for, you know, obvious reasons. And the money is coming into so-called value stocks, big old boring names like J.P. Morgan, Disney, Bank of America, Intel. And as we showed you on our RBI yesterday, even Cisco continues to remain red hot. The names that don't get a lot of attention because they're big and slow moving, they have been attracting money. Look at that chart, growth versus value. Also watching small caps, they have not shown a lot of value recently. The Russell 2000 losing Nearly 3% yesterday. It is down, still up year to date, but down from its high. It's on a pretty important support level as well. Technically, we are watching you, Russell 2000. All right. In the meantime, the 10-year yield, which has kind of been a catalyst for all this movement, continues to tick higher just a little bit this morning. The 10-year benchmark yield at 1.77%. All right. Around the world, Asia ending its day mostly higher around the world. We've talked about how hot Japan has been. It continues to be so, making more gains overnight. Not a lot, up two-tenths of 1%, but Japan rising once again. And the European markets, they are just a couple of hours into their trading day, and it is more green than red on the screen there. 
All right, right now, let's get some of this morning's top stories, including one now very famous ship that is no longer stuck in the mud, but maybe with a little uh, mud on its massive face. Bertha Coombs is here now with that and more of your top stories. The Ever Given limping away in the, well, not the dead of the night, but it limped away nonetheless, Bertha. Yeah, that's pretty astounding. But before we get to the ever given new details in what led to last week's massive stock fire sale in connection with the Archegos Capital Management, the Financial Times is reporting that the hedge fund's biggest counterparties, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, Credit Suisse, UBS and Nomura, all discussed ways to limit the market fallout from the firm's collapsing bets on stocks like Viacom, CBS and Discovery. But according to the report, those efforts went nowhere and paved the way for the chaotic selling that ensued. And in Egypt, as Brian mentioned, the Suez Canal is once again open for traffic after crews were able to finally free the massive ever given container ship stuck for six days. Salvage teams were finally able to refloat the nearly quarter-mile-long ship with the help of some high tides. It's since been moved to a wider part of the canal, where it is currently undergoing inspection. And U.S. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg says the White House will not propose hiking gasoline taxes or a new vehicle miles-traveled fee to pay for its proposed infrastructure spending plan. President Biden expected to outline how exactly he will pay for his $3 trillion to $4 trillion spending plan during an event tomorrow. Brian? Well, I guess they floated it. The outcry was pretty loud, realizing that a lot of people that are lower income have really long commutes because they can't afford to live close to where they work, and they'll just put that one on the back burner. Bertha Coombs, we'll see you back in a few minutes. Thank you very much. All right, back now to your money. And your next guest says, while you may not be some giant hedge fund like Archegos that Bertha just talked about, you need to pay attention to one big thing with any company that you invest in. That is leverage, a.k.a. debt. Welcome in Chad Morganlander, portfolio manager at Washington Crossing Advisors. Chad, it's good to see you again. Uh, maybe the Archigo saga is over. Maybe it's not. But so far, what, what should be the takeaway for our non-professional investor audience that's watching right now? What should we learn and know from what happened there? Well, it's about leverage. It's about making sure that you don't fly too close to the sun with your investment process. Uh, There are going to be other funds similar to this experience that we saw this week where there's going to be a blow up. Uh, So what can you do to control risk as an individual investor or a portfolio manager? You should be buying the highest quality investments that are consistently growing, consistently profitable, and don't have a lot of leverage or debt on their balance sheet. So, for example, look at companies that also have this incredible durability to them operationally so that if they go through a recession or a pandemic or even a depression, they will come out the other end and survive. Yeah, and it's a good lesson. I mean, first off, they can always rely on pros like you because that you get paid to do the hard work to dig down into these balance sheets. But if you're if you're somebody at home that's just watching and kind of fiddling around with the market, you know, it's pretty easy to see some of the, you know, there's two sides to a balance sheet, right? You've got assets and liabilities. Look at the liabilities. Right. Is that why, I mean, for all the sexy stuff we talk about, Chad, 
You like the maker of Spam and Dinty Moore beef stew? Right, correct. So this is perhaps one of the more boring conversations to be had, but a company like Hormel that actually is reinvesting back into their business, growing and has an organic growth rate of 3 to 5%, and does not have a lot of debt on their balance sheet. In, sheet, in fact, they've got more cash on their balance sheet than they do debt. Uh, so this is a durable uh, base, uh, a balance sheet, durable company. Also look at a company like Pepsi or, for example, Coca-Cola. Those companies as well, their valuations also make sense. Uh, and that's the most important thing. In a market where you're at a very extended valuation, you could look at these type of companies and own them for three to five years and wow. do quite well. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, think about that. You, maybe you got $5,000 in credit card debt, but you have $6,000 in cash sitting in a savings account. You know you could pay that off. That's pretty amazing that Hormel has more cash than debt. A lot of talk about new priorities for this administration, not getting political, Chad, but you, you obviously believe that defense spending is not going to get crushed because I know you also like Raytheon and General Dynamics. So we think that the aerospace industry is going to open up and do quite well over the next 18 to 24 months. Uh, General Dynamics, as well as Raytheon, have been, uh, the valuations have been compressed. They are an industrial. We think that overall that uh, also defense spending is going to be quite robust over the next 18 to 24 months. Uh, Again, similar to Hormel and Pepsi, their balance sheets are very, very clean. And also, they have a predictable revenue line. So we would be overweight this. We would look out 18 to, 20, 18 to 24 months. We think there's going to also be an increase in, in regard to their dividend. Okay, so th- there's your investing guidelines from Chad Morganlander. You can drink a Coke or a Pepsi while eating your beef stew and looking at pictures of fighter jets or, or gigantic warships. Chad Morganlander, some smart balance sheet strategies there. Chad, a pleasure to always have you on. Have a great day. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. But we are just getting warmed up. And when we come back, T-Mobile scrapping plans to try to take over your living room, at least for now. We'll tell you what they did. And much more on Archegos Capital Management. The New York Times' Kate Kelly is here with a new scoop you've got to hear. And later, buy me some peanuts and NFTs. The plan apparently going down at the New York Mets. Why is it always the Mets? Dow Futures up 43. We're back after this. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome or welcome back. Why don't we take a look at some of this morning's big money movers just for you. Three stories that you need to hear about. Story number one, T-Mobile announcing it intends to scale back its TV plans. Carrier now saying it will wind down its bundle of cable channels as soon as next month. It was simply unable to make the service profitable. T-Mobile will, though, look to form an alliance with Google's YouTube TV instead. Story two, Activision Blizzard. It is naming a new CFO. The move comes, the gaming company is in the middle of a lawsuit against Netflix for allegedly poaching its former chief financial officer. In fact, Activision Blizzard sued Netflix late last year, claiming the exec was illegally recruited by Netflix. And story three, Apple supplier Foxconn. It's posting a lower than expected profit for its fourth quarter. The 4% profit decline compared to a year ago. Still, on high precision, as it is formally known, shares are actually slightly higher in Asia, or close that way. All right, on deck, why Nike is taking issue with the 666 pairs of shoes sold by one chart-topping rapper. That ominous number is a clue. Plus, the latest on the vaccine rollout and some very good news from the CDC. It's not getting a lot of attention elsewhere. That and your other top trending stories. The Worldwide Exchange returns right after this short break. Dow futures up 50, NASDAQ futures down 8. Today's big number, 1.74 million. That's how many barrels of oil passed through the Suez Canal per day last year, according to tanker tracking firm Kepler. That's about 4.4% of all crude transported by seaborne methods. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. All right, welcome or welcome back. It is 517 on this Tuesday morning. Time now for your morning update on where the nation stands in the vaccine rollout. And the numbers continue to be quite good. According to the CDC, over 180 million doses have now been delivered to states across the country. 145 million of those have been administered. In all, about 95 million Americans have gotten at least one dose of the vaccine, and over 52 million are now fully vaccinated, both doses, including nearly half the population over 65. That's why hospitalizations are down 70% from their highs of January. All this is we just got our first real-world medical data on Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines and how effective they are. And that is very good news. We're going to have that later on, coming up in your RBI. We'll call that a tease, but it's news you got to hear. It's good news. It's not, oddly, getting a lot of attention anywhere else, but we have the story. All right, let's get now a check on this morning's other top headlines outside of the world of money and business. Philip Mena is in New York with that and more. Good morning to see you. Good to see you, Philip. 
Good to see you too, Brian. Good morning. It is day two in the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, who is charged with murdering George Floyd. During yesterday's opening arguments, the prosecution and defense clashing over the cause of his death. The prosecution hammered that number nine minutes and 29 seconds, the amount of time Chauvin knelt on Floyd's neck. But Chauvin's lawyers argued that Floyd was killed by an underlying heart disease and his use of fentanyl. Longtime confidant of Jeffrey Epstein, Ghislaine Maxwell, is now facing sex trafficking charges. Prosecutors allege Maxwell recruited a 14-year-old girl to engage in sex acts with Epstein on multiple occasions between 2001 and 2004. In the case against her, this is the fourth underage girl alleged to have been a victim. Maxwell now faces a total of eight counts. She pleaded not guilty to the original charges and remains in jail while she awaits trial. And finally, in Iceland, a group of volleyball enthusiasts got together for an impromptu game right in front of an erupting volcano. It wasn't good enough for them to just sit there and admire the lava fountains from afar. Nope. These players took their volleyball game to the extreme, playing near those rivers of red-hot magma. The things people do for the gram, I guess, these days. Brian, back to you. I guess their, their net must have melted, those wacky Icelandic... <laughs> Always doing something around volcanoes or, you know, hot springs. Oh, yeah, it'll make for uh, an excellent uh, season, next season of The Floor is Lava, I would say, you know. You really, really want to get extreme with it. I think that's what's next. Yeah, just I'm not going to be the one that goes and gets the ball from a bad shot. <laughs> that's a good point, it's right? Just, one, two, three, not much. it, right? <laughs> yeah, there you go. They had Bjork playing in the background of Sigurros. All right. It is back to business after the break. And as we round the corner on, eh, we'll call it 520, here's what's ahead. SpaceX and Elon Musk under fire over some questionable hiring practices. We'll tell you why. And if you have not already, subscribe to our podcast. If you missed the show any day, don't worry. You can download it on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and check it out every day. And it's not just the podcast. Be sure to check out today's At Work Summit. Look at that, Matthew McConaughey. That's right. All right, all right, all right. The At Work Summit. Here's a sneak peek. It's not just about the physical safety of returning back to the workplace. That's not the question. The question is who's coming back and what happened when they were gone? And are you creating the workplace that takes back the person that has been gone for two years and their life has forever been changed? The fallout continues. Investors nervous that the Archigo scandal not over yet. Leslie Picker and the New York Times' Kate Kelly are here to tell you about the widespread ramifications of the risk-taking. More salt, please. Salt deductions, that is. Why some are now turning up the heat on President Biden to uncap the state and local tax deduction and slam many blue state taxpayers. And talk about sticker shock. Why some Tesla customers got charged twice for their new cars. That's not good. It is Tuesday, March 30th, and this is Worldwide Exchange. Well, welcome or welcome back. Good Tuesday morning, everybody, or good Tuesday evening if you're someplace else in the world. Thanks for joining us here on Worldwide Exchange. Get a quick check on your money right now. Futures, kind of like the markets lately, they are mixed and pointing to a recent continuation of the so-called trends. The big cap value stocks are higher. Technology names lower. Dow futures up 57. NASDAQ futures down almost exactly the same. Dow posting its 17th record close of the year on Monday. 
while many tech and so-called stay-at-home stocks get kicked out. NASDAQ off 8% from its record all-time high and leading the declines of the name that, that led the market and boomed during lockdowns. Names that we never even talked about a year ago. Zoom, DocuSign, throw a Peloton in there as well. Instead, money being sold there and rolled into names like Disney, Bank of America, Intel, and like we talked about in the RBI yesterday, Cisco. Now to some of this morning's other top stories and big headlines. Bertha Coombs is back with those. Bertha. Brian, finance and other business leaders in New York are pushing President Biden and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer to bring back the full state and local tax deductions. The so-called SALT deduction was capped at $10,000 by former President Trump's 2017 tax law. CNBC has learned that Schumer, who is up for re-election next year, and advisors to the president have heard from business leaders across New York in recent weeks. Schumer and fellow Democrats Democratic New York Senator Kirsten Gillibrand introduced a bill in January that would eliminate the salt cap. Saudi Arabia is reportedly prepared to support extending oil cuts by OPEC and its allies when it meets later this week. According to Reuters, those cuts would carry over into May and June. The group also had hoped to ease those output reductions amid rising crude prices. But fresh waves of lockdowns of global uh, lockdowns globally expected to fuel those extended cuts. And Tesla is being accused of double-charging some customers for their new vehicles. Some of those customers tell CNBC the duplicate charges left them in financial distress, which included facing overdraft fees and credit card bill charges due at the end of the month. The amounts taken from their accounts range from $37,000 to $71,000. Tesla did not immediately reply to CNBC's request for comment on the matter. I mean, it's a car very nice, Brian, but you shouldn't be charged twice. Well, you know, that's, that's an easy way to raise money, I guess, right? I just pay double for everything I buy. Obviously, they're going to return or the money. Or adds a whole I mean, new twist to, adds a twist to now how much would you pay? Yeah, exactly. Maybe, maybe it's the NFT version of the Tesla. We'll just pay 700000 for a for Model 3. <laughs> but in this case, I, I assume the money will be coming back, Bertha Coombs. Thank you very much, Bertha. All right, well, from that and back to your big money story that rocked markets the last couple of sessions, the forced selling at hedge fund Archegos Capital Management and the billions of dollars in stock bets gone wrong, or at least some synthetic stock bets. Many questions remain, but let's get more now on how we got here and whether or not it can happen again. Bring in Leslie Picker, who's been all over the story. Leslie, what have we learned in the last 24 hours or so? Good morning, Brian. We've learned a lot. There are still a lot of questions remain. But as you know, as many people in our audience know, investing risk comes in a variety of forms. It's a combination of leverage and concentration and liquidity. Looking back, Archegos Management blew all three of those out of the water with its risk appetite. The family office's leverage levels defied logic. The Financial Times reporting that Archegos CEO Bill Huang was able to amass positions with 8 to 1 leverage. And in some trades, that ratio skyrocketed to 20 to 1 times. The report cites people familiar with Huang's leverage agreements. Now, that type of leverage is 
practically unheard of. And it means that even a small move downward in those positions could force significant pressure on Archegos, and in this case, a once-in-a-decade event, as a source called it. Archegos's Bill Huang also ran a heavily concentrated book, reportedly, with names like Viacom, CBS, Discovery, a group of Chinese internet companies, among others. But across the six or so prime brokers he was working with, Huang was able to amass a huge portion of stock in many of his holdings, in some cases more than one-tenth of the shares outstanding. That made it so he was practically illiquid, unable to quickly and easily sell his stakes when the margin calls happen. Enter the banks, which seizes assets, or in the case of swaps, but simply sold equities that were beneficially theirs. This resulted in massive block trades, practically unheard of in scale and size. A spokeswoman for Arcagos telling CNBC, quote, This is a challenging time for the family office of Arcagos Capital Management. Our partners and employees and plans are being discussed as Ms. Mr. Huang and the team determine the best path forward. Now, regardless of the idiosyncratic nature of Arcagos' struggle, Brian, it's already raising questions about transparency, about the siloed prime brokerage system and regulations governing family offices. So a lot of things to unpack with this story. Something tells me we'll be talking about it for days to come. Yeah, yeah. Very quickly, Leslie, before we let you go, has anybody gotten a hold of Bill Wong? What's he got to say about all this? I've been trying. I've been calling his office. We did get that statement. Uh, our colleague David was able to track down uh, his spokeswoman last night and get a statement from her. Um, but other than that, we have no comment from the firm. Except for challenging times, the kind of th- throwaway comment there. A lot of people want to know more than that, and hopefully they'll come out and be a little more visible. Leslie Picker, thank you very much. All right, let's bring in now New York Times' Kate Kelly, also a CNBC contributor, out with her own take on the situation in a published piece last night. Leslie's still with us as banks face billions in losses as a bet on Viacom and CBS and other stocks go away. Kate Kelly, first off, Kate, it's great to see you. How are you doing? Good to see you awesome and Leslie, Brian. As always. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> it's like old times, although we'd, in old times we'd be actually in the office together saying hi and having cold tater tots. That aside, Kate, I think the question is, <laughs> How does a firm amass such big positions synthetically? And I'll give you uh, an ec- I'll give you an extra order of tater tots if you throw in contracts for difference and or total return swaps into your answer. <laughs> well, when I was at CNBC, they taught us not to overcomplicate things on the air. So I'll just say the the, the concept wow. here um, was that. Archegos wanted to take some of these large positions, but they, I guess, I guess, because we haven't spoken to them, wanted the anonymity of a swap, like a total return swap might be one example of the uh, trade we're talking about. And effectively, what would happen is the prime brokers, the banks that lent money to Archegos would go out and buy shares of the stocks that Archegos wanted to be long. So Viacom, CBS, a great example. Um, If you look at the most recent 13F filings, you find that a lot of these banks seem to have amassed larger positions than whatever they had going into the quarter uh, in Viacom, CBS. So you see a lot of buying activity by Nomura, by Goldman Sachs, by Morgan Stanley and others. And that was actually a tell for those that followed the stock, that probably there was a big money manager or two out there that was building up a position through swaps, because unlikely that those banks would buy uh, such large volume just for themselves. So for Arcagos, they would get essentially, as Leslie said, the economic exposure to the stock. 
um, through this arrangement they had made individually and bilaterally with each of these banks. Um, but they would not have to own it. And importantly, they would not have to disclose it. And if you think back to the GameStop yes. situation, the beginning of that, right, what what got Melvin Capital into trouble, I guess, is that they had to report ownership of put options, which effectively told the market were, were uh, massively short these stocks. Normally, you would not have to report a short position with a few exceptions like in the UK. Um, and that was a similar case here. The market didn't exactly know who was doing this or why. Uh, and when the move happened, it was large and shocking. It was. And Leslie, listen, I, I, you know, Kate won't do it, but I will. I'm going to say something that our management won't like. So if any of our <laughs> bosses are listening, mute the volume. Um, every quarter we talk about these 13 Fs. We call it whale watching. We look at, you know, the big funds, SEC filings on what they hold. I'm not saying they're not worth looking at, but here's the reality of the modern Wall Street. A lot of those positions might be fake positions or dummy positions to mask trades that are exactly the opposite, i.e., you own some of the actual equity, but you are synthetically short other positions through these TRSs, total return swaps, or what I mentioned earlier, contracts for differences, which are swaps, ways to bet against things synthetically. You don't own anything. You're betting on a move. You can be paid up front. By the way, those are illegal in the United States, but they're very profitable, or they used to be, in Europe and parts of Asia. But the point is, don't always believe what you see on the filing. Correct, Leslie? Mm -hmm. Because there may be a different, bigger bet going the other way. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's not something that hedge funds are new to. They have had to file 13 Fs for, I think, decades at this point. Um, and so they've figured out what happens when you disclose a certain type of position, a certain size of position. People catch on to it. They see what you're mm-hmm. doing. So they found creative ways to not have to disclose exactly how they're positioned to leave them to certain vulnerabilities, as Kate mentioned like Melvin found itself with regard to GameStop, for example. Now, I do wonder, you know, if we kind of look at the postmortem of Arcagos Capital and some of the the potential uh, impacts from it, you know, will the SEC be looking at rules regarding uh, disclosure, transparency, things of that nature? This is a family office. It's not a hedge fund. And so their disclosure requirements are even you know, less transparent. Um, And so all of those things, I think, are important considerations as we kind of take a step back and look at what has happened over the last few days. Yeah. And and talking to people in the street about it, Kate, I mean, uh, one thing seems to be sure. Goldman Sachs has won again. Uh, You know, Goldman Sachs is the one that looks like they have come out of this smiling. Well, of course, as the market showed you yesterday, Nomura in Japan, Credit Suisse, they were left not only holding the bag, but probably some of the credit risk as well. But Goldman getting out in front of the gate, right? As soon as the gate opened, they were selling hard. And it reminds me of the, mo- the movie Margin Call. You know, by 8 a.m., we got half the position. And by 11, you're out. And Goldman looks like they're a winner. Yeah, it's interesting. I, uh, I talked to a sort of veteran prime brokerage executive and a person who had run um, markets groups in the past yesterday. And the guy said to me, of course, he didn't want to be named with this kind of blue language, but he said, 
this whole situation to me is like a string of, are you effing kidding me? Like why uh, <laughs> risk management in this person and many people's view sort of absent at Nomura? What happened at Credit Suisse? Um, it does seem to your point, Brian, that Goldman and Morgan Stanley uh, handled this with uh, pretty good risk management apparatus and ended up uh, with, with immaterial losses, if any, on the Goldman side is what we know. And Morgan Stanley hasn't said anything about potential losses, but our sources tell us uh, that the expectation is they'll be minimal, if any. So, yeah, I mean, the, the management or, here seems to be sound. Kate, can I, can I flip it a little bit, too, just talking to people as well? And, and there are some that, that out there that believe, and we, don't, we probably will never know, Goldman Sachs may have made money here. So I reported on that yesterday. I think that's always a possibility. Um, I think they're still unwinding the trade a little bit. So it remains to be seen exactly where they end up. But it's possible. You know, Leslie, and here's the thing about Goldman Sachs and Bill Wong is that they he got in trouble, had some SEC issues related to Mm -hmm. Hong Kong listed stocks. I think that was 2012. Gosh, it's almost 10 years ago. Anyway, he was kind of banished by Goldman Sachs. Right. They're like, well, we're not going to do business with you. At some point in the last few years, somebody let him back in, right? Some sales traders like, boss, please, he's a big money, he's safe, yep. I'm sure. They brought him back in, and, and now this. I mean, th- this was sort of a round trip for Bill Wong and Goldman yeah. Sachs. Yeah, it, it just goes to show you what the prospect of significant fees can do for your reputation. Um, but no, you're right. Uh, it has been reported that, you know, he did not pass muster with Goldman Sachs's reputational committee. Uh, however, he did have agreements all over the street. We know of at least six prime brokers that he was dealing with. Uh, and you bring up kind of the, the who gets ahead here with regard to those prime brokers. Uh, the FT actually published an article overnight looking at how the, the main um, prime brokers that he was dealing with actually met last week and had a conversation about how to orderly unwind the trades and make sure that you know everything was was done in an orderly fashion. Um, and then you know certain firms yeah. broke ranks, they sold earlier. Of course, it's kind of like a prisoner's dilemma kind of situation there. Um, you know, with regard to just the psychology of, of banning together as a team yeah. versus kind of going rogue for your own benefit. So. Um, Really interesting behind-the-scenes stuff going on. You know, well, there's and, also and, a domino Kate, effect really that occurs cast- here, right? Yeah, go ahead. No, sorry to interrupt. I was just going to say there's a domino effect that occurs when, as Leslie noted, you know, some broke ranks. So you had kind of Thursday night to Friday morning, two key prime brokers in uh, Credit Suisse and Morgan Stanley declaring yeah. uh, Archegos in default, and that actually triggered a technical aspect of the, the prime brokerage contracts with others that allowed them to default Archegos as well. And that's when the asset seizure and the massive sales began. And, and so much of this is, is on this swap market as well, Kate, and, and uh, you know, and probably triggered just by that Viacom CBS secondary. I don't want to scare anybody, uh, Kate, and you don't have to comment on this if you don't want to. This is related to Viacom and Discovery, and no offense to them, not exactly high-powered stocks. I have said that Tesla is the most important stock in the world. And I don't say that because the stock's been on fire or I like the cars. I say that because when you look at the sort of dark underbelly of derivatives, ask any trader out there on swaps and derivative desk. So much is tied to Tesla or, or a few other big technology names. Mm. I think the bigger story here may be what's the bigger risk on bigger names. 
and how many derivatives and swaps and synthetic positions are placed on things we have no idea about. Right. And of course, the reason that uh, market participants like to use these complex products like swaps is to give them some anonymity. And with that comes the nimbleness to be able to get in and out of positions without moving stocks as much as you would if your position were public. That said, it's interesting you bring up uh, Viacom CBS not being exactly a power stock. I did some reporting on that name yesterday because I wanted to understand what the fundamentals were. And uh, mm-hmm. one analyst I spoke to said, you know, it's so interesting what Uh, What we noted in the analyst community who follow these media stocks is not so much the fall of that price of that stock last week, but the rise. There were there were no fundamentals to support a price that was pushing one hundred dollars. There was this offering in the market that you mentioned. It was it was new equity and also some convertible bonds. Um, And the management team essentially thought, let's take advantage of this high flying price. Let's let's raise some capital for some of our longer term plans. And that was fine to do. But it seemed that the market didn't like it. They weren't able to raise quite as much as they expected. They ended up at about 2.65 billion, not three. And somewhere in there, the stock started this precipitous fall even before the asset seizures occurred. You see the stock ticking down through the course of the week. Yeah, and pain always greater than gain, and that's why by, by stocks tend to move down at about twice the rate they tend to move up when there is fear. And there was fear. Kate Kelly, Leslie Picker, hey, guys, next time we do this, let's do it over some lukewarm coffee and cold tater tots. Can we do that? And tater tots. <laughs> I don't yes, love tater absolutely. tots, but I'll take a coffee. Who doesn't <laughs> love tater tots? Come on. All right, Leslie and Kate Kelly, great reporting. You two, look forward to seeing you all again in person. Take care. Excellent stuff. Check out Kate's story, by the way, on the New York Times website, as well as Leslie's awesome reporting. All right, coming up, the growing controversy over those sneakers by the Grammy award-winning rapper Little Nas X. And now has Nike stepping up and taking legal action. But first, a quick hit on what else is happening right now. A judge says SpaceX should be forced to comply with the Department of Justice's subpoena as part of a probe and where the company illegally discriminated against foreign applicants and its hiring practices. The judge's report rejecting SpaceX's argument that the subpoena constituted a, quote, government overreach. Also, Samsung says that semiconductor production at its Texas plant is now returning to normal. The facility forced to temporarily halt production last month after that severe winter storm caused power outages. And check this out. Volvo has announced it will give all employees 24 weeks, six months of paid parental leave. The automaker CEO says the new policy meant to help the company hire and retain talent among its push to become an all-electric vehicle leader by 2030. We're back after this. A devilish lawsuit. NFTs stepping up to bat and some good news for Comic-Con lovers. Bertha Coombs back now with more on today's trending stories. Bertha, what's trending? Well, Nike filing a trademark infringement lawsuit against the company selling Little Nas's X Satan Shoes. The controversial shoe company Mischief confirmed on Sunday that the modified Nikes being sold in collaboration with the rapper did indeed contain drops of human blood. Nike in a statement also reiterating that it has nothing to do with the rollout of the shoes, which sold out shortly after going on sale. 
New York Mets continuing their foray into the NFT world. Mets first baseman Pete Alonso is launching an NFT today on Block Party. The digital collectible will be auctioned off and the proceeds donated to a charity dedicated to supporting minor leaguers. And Comic-Con is turning the page on the pandemic. The organization announcing that it will hold a special in-person convention over Thanksgiving weekend in San Diego. The event will be the first for Comic-Con International since the onset of COVID-19. Just think all those folks and their costumes getting ready. Yeah, I mean, hey, many of them, by the way, are, first off, that's November, so hopefully this will be long gone in mass already. I got invited to my first in-person conference for next month. I'm not sure I can go, not because really? I won't go or I wouldn't go, just because, yeah, I don't know if I'll be able to go, but I got, I got invited. It's a couple hundred people. It's not huge, but I'd like to go. I'd go. Wow, that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. It's, it's yeah. one of those things where it just seems like it's around the corner. We're getting there. Yeah. I'm, I'm just worried that the I'm hard have part to wear is you got to plan pants, now. You know, right? It's like if you're going to have an in-person conference in a few months, you have to start now. So you're kind of rolling the dice. But hey, someone's going to have to be first. Bertha, thank you. That was the world of concrete like- in, in Vegas. I think it, I think Contessa's going to the world of concrete. We should get in touch with where's Contessa Brewer. I think she's got a, some kind of conference she's going to maybe next weekend. Inquiring minds want to know. All right, on deck, your morning RBI and some very good news from the CDC that is not getting much attention elsewhere. We've got it, though. You're going to want to hear it. Stick around. All right, welcome back. And let's get back now to the markets with Dow Futures up about 50 points. NASDAQ down about the same. And your next guest says, We continue to face a leadership rotation, but she's warning, don't put all your so-called value eggs into the same value basket. I guess an appropriate anecdote ahead of Easter. Aaron Gibbs is the president and CIO of Gibbs Wealth Management. Aaron, I would expect nothing less than Easter puns and egg jokes from you at this 5.50 a.m. hour. What do you mean by that? I mean, you don't want to just throw all your money at some beaten up deep cyclical well, I, I think actually it's some of the, the cyclicals that have gotten a bit overvalued. And I think we should be a little choosy about exactly where we should be putting our money. Some of the classic value types of industries, um, much like energies or some real estate, um, really have become a bit overbought. They're very highly volatile. And so I think investors can be better off by looking at uh, really drilling down into both fundamentals the potential cyclical growth that we're going to see over the next two to three years and still keeping in mind some valuations and and not buying too expensively. You know, we just talked about, of course, the Archegos stuff and, and that Morgan Stanley's name was bandied around as one of the players in that. That's not swaying you. You still think that Morgan Stanley is maybe a deep value stock. Why? Uh, so one, I financials are one of my favorite sectors within the, the value basket. Um, there's in general, the sector is trading at about a 31% discount in valuation, um, which is unusual. Uh, financials typically trade at a discount towards the broader market, but it's more like 
a 20% discount in a low-rate environment. So there's still room just purely on a valuation appreciation basis. Um, and I actually think that Morgan Stanley, um, particularly as it was a little harder hit yesterday, um, is presents a real buying opportunity. I think they have um, being a diversified financials, those are some of my favorites because they're able to take advantage of lots of ways that uh, they can make more money with higher yields, higher yield curves, uh, as well as being one of the earlier traders that uh, earlier companies that really got out of the block trades on Monday. So I think they, they were a little overhit yesterday and that just makes them that much more attractive today. Yeah. And the market has spoken and the market has not taken the stock down. So the market, and by the way, I think the market would know what's going on with Morgan Stanley since, you know, they're part of the market. Aaron, what else? What else is less obvious out there when you dig into sort of deep cyclicality and, you know, boring old balance sheets? What looks good to you? Uh, so another area I really like are the industrials. Um, also very good at taking uh, taking advantage of long-term cyclical growth, particularly at some of these transportation uh, packages, if they go through, even if they're much smaller or come in different portions, uh, I think those are really poised. Um, as we reopen the economy, industrials are also some of the areas where we can see higher capital expenditures uh, and being really able to, to take advantage. And so while their valuations have become a little higher uh, than the broader market, um, there's by, by no means overbought, and I think those are some other companies, that, particularly in construction, that are also a really good bet for long-term growth. Mm -hmm. All right, good stuff there. Good bets for long-term growth. We love to hear those words together. Aaron Gibbs, love to have you on the program. Thank you, Aaron. Talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Bye. You're welcome. Time now for your morning RBI. And today, we're going to end the show with some good news in the fight against COVID. Now, it did not get a lot of attention for whatever reason, but yesterday, the CDC came out with a very positive report on vaccines. I posted it to my social media. You can read it there. It's boring and, and a bit wordy, so we're just going to summarize it for you here. Because we are finally getting some longer-term data on the vaccines, which, remember, have only been around in public for about four months. So in looking at eight locations where healthcare early responders got vaccinated first, likely back in mid to late December, the CDC found nearly zero cases of COVID. And that's with either one or two shots. Here are the actual numbers. Among 3,950 mostly frontline healthcare workers who deal with COVID all the time and had no previous COVID infection, 14 days after both doses, 0.0. .0 Four infections per 1,000 person days registered. And 14 days after just one dose of either Pfizer or Moderna, it wasn't much higher at just 0.19 cases per 1,000 person days. Now, that's not exactly and it's not quite zero, but you got to be clear. That's pretty darn close to zero over that length of time. And remember, Dr. Fauci himself has said, and he wrote in a paper, by the way, in the New England Journal of Medicine in February, that these vaccines, Pfizer and Moderna, are likely to cut serious outcomes, even in some of the variants, even with slightly lower efficacy. So while there is a big reason to be concerned right now, cases are popping in Michigan, New Jersey, and some other states, there's also a lot of reason for hope and optimism. And the first real-world study, not a test, real-world people, actual humans that got it, 
and some very, very positive data from the CDC. By the way, a shout out and a virtual high five to all the scientists and medical personnel making this happen. Random, but hopefully interesting and important data on the vaccines as well. Well, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Try to end on a little good news. Hope you have a great day wherever you may be. We'll see you tomorrow. Squawk Box, the gang. They're next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.